Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to Music In My Life. I'm so delighted to be talking to the wonderful Jessie Quinn today. Jessie is a multi-instrumentalist as well as a singer-songwriter and producer, but I'd say he's probably most well-known as a member of British pop rock band Keen. Keen achieved huge success with their debut album Hopes and Fears in 2004, which of course went on to win a Brit Award for Best British Album in 2005. They've subsequently released three more extremely successful albums, Under the Iron Sea in 2006, followed by Perfect Symmetry in 2008, and finally the album titled Strange Land, which was released in May 2012. Keen have sold over 13 million records worldwide, and after a hiatus, the band were actually touring their latest album, Cause and Effect, shortly before we went into lockdown here in the UK. This was obviously devastating for the band who were mid-tour when all of this happened. We talk a little bit about that in today's podcast. Jesse, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, it's lovely to be here. Yeah, it's really nice to chat to you. And I think uh, for those who might not know, I'm going to talk a little bit about Old Jet, which if you don't know, it's an abandoned US Air Force base in the Suffolk countryside. And Jesse, you've turned it into this amazing art centre that I know about because of uh, my mum having a studio there for her art, but also just the, you know, you have this monthly market that's just amazing. It's so lively. And I'm sure that people are probably desperately missing that at the moment as well. And it's growing all the time, isn't it? I mean, do you want to tell me a little bit more about how it's been over the past few months? Because it must have felt quite strange not to have Old Jet being as as busy as it has been. Yeah, I mean, I... I obviously was at home for um for ages and um you know I kind of ventured in to pick a couple of things up and it was really weird because I think of it as just being this incredibly kind of um homely vibrant place and I went in and kind of all the lights were off and it was cold and it was awfully depressing but um people have started coming back in a bit more now um it's um you know, we've got the lights back on and it feels a bit more like normal, but it's, yeah, it's been weird. It's been, it's, I'm, I'm really flattered that people have sort of held on to their studios and, and, um, haven't sort of jumped ship or anything. So it speaks volumes about, um, the sort of community side of it. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? I know from speaking to my mum about how much she's missed being there. And I think, like you say, there's this sense of community, but also it's a place where people can kind of um, come away from their everyday life as well and kind of have their own space to be really creative. And I suppose what's really nice as well is your um, 
you're my first guest that is a another as another musician which is really lovely and I think there's a yeah there's so much to be said for having a creative hub like Old Jet within a county like Suffolk I think it's so important but where where did the idea come from? Well I mean like I don't know how you felt but um, like most people when I left school growing up in rural Suffolk I was really ready to get out of here and sort of swore I'd never come back but um you know things change and uh you know families grow and and uh I came back up and spent some time here with my wife and uh our, our baby this was probably eight years ago and um and just realized how much I loved it here and um so wanted to set up somewhere to have my music equipment and my you know recording equipment so that I could work but also was so used to that London um you know kind of buzz that I thought I don't know if I can handle just suddenly going to being on my own in the middle of nowhere but I knew that it appealed to me to be somewhere remote but just not to be completely isolated so I I sort of looked at you know some of the buildings on this amazing um this amazing old air force base and just thought well actually maybe there's scope to do something for a bunch of other people that also want want to have somewhere to go to work but don't want to feel like they don't have anyone around them or they're not you know um completely isolated and and I'm also really conscious of the fact that um you know in the arts it's a funny old thing making art because people are quite easily generally speaking I think people that create art are quite easily um kind of put down and and you know they'll sort of work feverishly on something and then suddenly decide it's awful and they should just quit and go and get a different job and that doesn't you know you don't feel that in London um and I thought if I can if I can do something that is more than just a sort of place to go and work but also has you know that like we were just saying a sense of community and um and a sense of it being a kind of sort of weird little support group you know, I, it could enrich the lives of, of um, lots of people around here. So my beloved darling Jules, my wife, I suggested it to her. You know, at the time I didn't really have a job. Keen were on a sabbatical and, um, you know, I said, can I, you know, can I set up an art centre? We haven't got any money and I haven't got any investors or anything, but I just think we could do it. She was like, yeah, I trust you, you know crack on (laughs) oh wow I was about to say that's pretty amazing to have that unconditional support as well because I think when you're a musician you need that in your life like you say someone in your corner to sort of fight the battles with you and and keep pushing forward and that's yeah amazing to have that support and you mentioned as well that you know sometimes if you're moving out to a rural place like Suffolk or you know so many other places around the country it can feel quite isolating and obviously we should still mention as well that at the moment things are definitely not normal in the world are they and we're still in this sort of period of lockdown although things are sort of starting to move along and and we're all finding this new normal but what's it what's it been like for you because I think you were meant to be heading out on tour with Keen right which must have been really tough to have to change everything it it was what was really weird was we left um I can't remember what date it was now but we left to go and do this tour of the states just as the whole thing was kind of kicking off. I remember we were, we were touring Europe in uh, like end of January and through summer February, and we were sitting on our tour bus cruising along and, and kind of laughing about this weird, you know, market somewhere in China where people could buy, you know, bats and wolf cubs, and wasn't it weird? 
and then suddenly it it started to really become this big thing and we we kind of were on our way to you know off on my way to Heathrow to fly to America and I thought this is really you know this is awful timing for a start but like this could potentially be cancelled while we were out there but we thought well if we if we don't go um we're going to lose a ridiculous amount of money so we have to kind of just see what we can do and sure enough we got out there we got four shows in uh and we we were on our way to where were we going we were going to denver colorado and um certain states started cancelling gatherings and um and and we kind of made this decision you know along with we realized we just wouldn't be able to keep going so we had to pull the plug and fly home but it was i mean it was just so surreal it's weird enough being at home and and having lockdown and all this stuff going on but being in a hotel in like a city that you don't know very well mm. in another part of the world it ma- made me feel such empathy for all those people we saw on the news who were like i'm stuck in turkey or i'm in australia or whatever um so yeah it's been it's been pretty intense and we've obviously you know everything's been cancelled for the for the foreseeable future um in terms of our live work and and even getting into a studio as you know is is not something that's really um particularly easy at the moment so um we're just kind of waiting to see what happens like a lot of people i guess but it's it's you know i think we're slightly gloomy at the amount of money that we've lost having to cancel all of our work but also you know hugely um grateful at how blessed we are that it's it's um not the end of the world for us and we we can you know we can get back to it at some point and we can still you know put food on the table yeah of course it is i think a lot of people i've talked to um in recent weeks and months it's that feeling of like you say you kind of you need to feel like you can talk about the negative side and the impact on your own life and then there's this other bigger picture where you also feel incredibly grateful for the positives in your life and you know i know we we're here in in london and we have a tiny little concrete garden but oh my goodness am i grateful for that now you know looking at the fact that we've been able to have that space outside and that other people in tiny flats you know must be cooped up and really finding that tough i think there's so many things that have become apparent as to what's what's important in life over the past couple of months for for lots of people and but i think yeah like you say for you being away from home and then that kind of that that change that we had between like you say it's something that really wasn't affecting anyone personally to suddenly being like okay this is actually something that's going to change the landscape of of what how we do things in the future it's really kind of that time of uncertainty and I mean, you know, this is also, I suppose it it relates in a way to what we're going to talk about with regards to music, because what I love so much is, um, that's why I wanted to do a a podcast like this to talk about the emotional connection that music has. And I was thinking actually about the fact that you would have had to have cancelled so many dates for the tour and and how people and your fans who would want to come and listen to that music um, must have been devastated as well. And, And that music is not only your life, but it's what they're looking forward to listening to and I think you know that's it isn't it it's that emotional connection to music that sort of shapes different parts of our life and so I guess I should ask you know you as a musician what's that what's that been like through your life obviously as a musician you know did you know that that's what you wanted to do at the start or do you feel like your relationship with music has kind of been up and down through your life that's a really good question or um 
it's interesting. I don't think I truly became aware of the kind of emotional side of music until I was probably into my kind of hormonal teens, you know, up until that point, I, I guess I probably just saw it as something that was exciting. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things, I don't know if you find this when you perform, but one of the things that I find really um, amazing now as a musician is when you play to a big audience and you you kind of walk out on stage and, and it just looks like a sea of faces, but you, you quite quickly start to pick people out a little bit and, and, and notice, you know, the, the audience in a bit more detail. And, and there's, there's come a sort of time where I've suddenly realized how much um, you're, you're playing to a bunch of individuals rather than this mob, you know, this big crowd. And you see people, you know, some people who've come to a show on their own or you, you see people, they're kind of eyes closed, head thrown back singing. And it's very strange when you you make a record or whatever and or you're sort of, you know, getting ready to go and play and you, you just think you're just some person, don't you? You know, doing something that you enjoy. But to see the impact that it has on other people is, it can be quite, um, you know, kind of, well, certainly humbling, but it, it also, for me, makes me feel like there is real value in, in what I do. It's not just, you know, <laughs> an egotistical way to spend my time. Yeah, and, well, and it's, and it's important, I think, especially at the moment, to feel that. And I, I completely agree. I feel like every time there's an opportunity to perform, um, personally, I feel like it's also a way of bringing people together and, you know, connecting through music. And, and it's also a moment to forget about everything else in your life as well so I think that's what's so interesting is um certain songs whether they're for you know for yourself they could be one of your own songs or or a you know a time where you've written music as well as you know someone else just having a favorite song but it can be such a strong link to a memory or a moment and sometimes people don't realize that until they talk about it as well um mm. and I think so obviously um for those of you listening as well at the moment I give my guests eight questions to choose from so Jesse you've chosen four of those questions and four pieces of music alongside and um so I wanted to talk about first if it's okay the song that always cheers you up uh, you chose a David Bowie song and what a song as well um do you want to mm. tell me a bit about the song and, and why it has this emotional connection for you a song that always cheers you up I mean I don't know what it is about Let's Dance but it for me personally it ticks so many boxes with you know things that I'm interested in like just the the production and the um and the the music itself is just a kind of masterclass in sparse really intelligent um well-constructed music and and it's got obviously some absolute um masters of their craft playing on it um but more than that it's got an amazing groove you know it's it it has an impact it's great as soon as you you know i do the odd bit of djing when um people are gullible when people are gullible enough i to didn't know me. that <laughs> yeah but that is a guaranteed i mean you put it on people go absolutely mad for it absolutely you know, straight away they're completely and utterly up for it and that's no mean feat when you're making you know a piece of music to to sort of uh get everyone on side you know do you think that's do you think that's because of the sort of Nile Rodgers impact with it I mean he's he has got this sort of brain that just 
understands rhythm it's really extraordinary like any track that you listen to that he plays on or um, has produced has something about the rhythm that just fits and works there's nothing there's nothing about it that makes you think mm, i didn't quite get that right or whatever um and also like i think is it omar hakim on the drums it's i can't remember who plays drums on it the drumming on it it's got stevie ray vaughan on lead guitar on it it's amazing people played on it um and um you know you you just can't you, it's not something you can buy that you know what i mean to get those sort of players in a room and get get it so right is you know it's magical well and also i think you know you think about so it's the lead track for the album of the same name let's dance it was released in 1983 so you think about the way music was recorded back then there wasn't really um it wasn't picked apart with meticulous detail of, of replaying certain lines or chords, was it? It was recorded as a whole song, as a feeling and a vibe, you know, and I think that's part of the beauty actually of um, a lot of the songs that you've chosen today, because they are, a lot of them are recorded in their entirety. And so it's just where that music goes in that moment is where it stays forever. And I think that's perhaps, I don't know, perhaps what makes this song so iconic. Um, did you kind of have you experienced this song live at all or is it something that's always been one on the dj decks <laughs> i think it's one of those ones that i can't you know i think if i saw it back then when it came out it would probably be really exciting but seeing it now it would feel a bit like a, a wedding gig or something but it's um i don't know i don't know what it is about it for me but it just it's one of the only songs that i'm like yep i'm dancing right now <laughs> Completely agree with you. Well, let's have a listen to it and then we can chat some more. So this is Let's Dance, David Bowie. So good. So good. I'm literally bopping along. <laughs> you can't help it, can you? It's just the rhythm and yeah. Oh my goodness. What a song. And it was, you know, we should mention as well, it's the best selling album for David Bowie selling 10.7 million copies worldwide. I didn't know, I didn't know that. That's yeah. Amazing. And it also became the only single of his that topped the UK and the US charts. So it was, you know, globally a, a massive, massive game changer as a song for, yeah. for him as a musician. Um, what a song and I was looking up actually I think I'm right and think it would have been released when you were two years old so maybe you would have been bopping along then <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> <laughs> have you played have you played it to your to your children at all do you know it's quite sweet my kids really um they like me asking them we we've got a, quite a good relationship when it comes to asking each other what we think of music so quite often I'll sort of be called into the living room my daughter who's she's just turned nine will say tell me what you think of this and she'll play me a, a track and and I'll say yeah I, I like that one or I don't that one's not for me or whatever and she's sort of hmm okay and then I'll play her something quite often I try and play her something really obscure and weird and just see how it goes down <laughs> but I love having those conversations and we one of the one of the ones that sticks in my mind is um she um at the end of I think the film's called Sing it's an animated um Oh, Kit, such a good film. I know. Yeah. It well. yeah. It's called cool Sing, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, that's so right, yeah. there's there's a version of Golden Slumbers by the Beatles on it. And um 
She goes, come and listen to this. So she played it to me and I said, ah, now that's not a new song. That's an old song. And the original is incredible. Let me play you the original. So I played her the original. She's like, the new one's better. And I was like, <laughs> I said to her, I said, Harps, you know, sometimes this sort of thing, it's just right and wrong. It's not about taste. You know, you're wrong. She was like, I'm not wrong. You're yeah, wrong. Say, don't tell a nine-year-old girl that she's wrong. We're very yeah. stubborn at all ages. I love it. That's really weird that you mentioned that song. So that is something that I sang literally yesterday. Um, I was doing something with the Stroke Association and oh. I said, this is a song that is from the movie Sing and it's like a medley, isn't it? It goes into carry that weight on your shoulders. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it is, it's, a, I mean, honestly, such, iconic music but like you say that's what's great about music as well is it can reach so many different generations through yeah. obviously reinventing things and of course you know like yourself you'd always say no this is the original is you know you need to listen to this but it's great to you know be able to reach a new genre and a new age of people as well with that kind of with that music um, there's also that one other thing I'll say about that song which I think is an example of like truly masterful writing is the the opening line once there was a way to get back home I mean it can be it can mean so many things to so many different people and you know talking about the emotional side of music there's something about um directness but also ambiguity you know that makes great songwriting like if you can say something that everyone instantly connects with but could mean something different to everyone that is the kind of that's the goal I think that's the dream genius. Yeah, yeah absolutely I sing it to my daughter sometimes as well because it it, it sort of partly feels like a it could be a little bit of a lullaby as well which again like you yeah. say shows you can take something different away from it um oh, I love that song so this next one you've chosen a song about love and about tough times um I didn't know this song so obviously when I'm kind of listening to all of the choices I was really interested in this choice particularly do you want to tell me a little bit more about this song Buttercup so this is this band they're, they're a sort of Seattle you know 90s um kind of band and they were one of the first bands that I really sort of you know when you start to move away from just listening to the music your parents like when you're a teenager or a kid or whatever um they were one of the first bands that I really connected with and um and you know like we were saying before found an emotional connection with and what was lovely was years later I sort of kept following the um the guy that sings in this band also had a solo project and a couple of other bands. And I, I, I followed his, his work and his um, career and, and was always a massive fan. And we played, he was based in Seattle. We played a gig in Seattle years later and I got in touch with him and said, would you come and open for us? And he said, yeah, sure. You know, no way. and, and came down, we hung out and, and formed a, a bit of a, a friendship and stayed in touch via email. And, and um, he sadly died nearly nearly exactly a year ago um and which was you know really sad he had a, a young son and stuff but the one of the things i didn't realize about this song in particular i remember just feeling like it, something about it just i just understood and it just got me and i um, you know it was like this guy knows what i'm feeling and i was talking to him about it and i said that's that song had some weird impact on me I just felt like it it spoke to me in such a direct way you know what what are the lyrics about because it's it's kind of um you know it's, it's the lyrics aren't particularly direct and he said well I actually I improvised them and I thought 
that's really quite a thing to improvise, to be in the studio and improvise your words rather than write, write them meticulously and carefully like m- most people do. Um, it says so much about, you know, the kind of the person making it, but the fact that I, that it had such a connection with someone on the other side of the world means that there maybe there is a side to the songwriting, a language that has, you know, even if you don't particularly know what you're singing about or talking about, if it's really just from from your heart, it can um, it can it can really connect with people. Yeah, um, definitely. I I actually yeah. I loved actually reading the lyrics of this. That's so really interesting to hear that that story in particular. Um, and I've I've got some here. I'll read out the first verse um, for people to have a listen as well. So, and I love to tie you up. And you love to let me down. We both try to cover it up with the sound. And then it goes on. You ain't my buttercup. You ain't my little tool. I know that ain't a part of the deal. We're through. Let me tell you. And then it goes on. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. It's really, honestly, that's so interesting to hear that as well. And I'm sorry that you, I was going to say that, you know, Sean Smith, he sadly passed away last year. I didn't realize that you knew him personally. And um, I, I was actually, when I was looking at the, different versions of that song as well I saw the live version of it's just him and the piano I think um and it is the most beautiful thing and I think for me what struck me was looking at sort of a a broad rock genre actually when you hear someone's voice alone but has that gruffness and that fragility and vulnerability just with Mm. an instrument like the piano it's so beautiful Mm. um I don't know I don't know whether you feel the same about that but I guess it's and I also didn't realize he was in quite a lot of other bands as well um which I suppose for me as a classical singer is something I'm not very used to but you must be much more used to that of how as a musician you can or like a multi-instrumentalist you can transition from group to group or band to band and have such a kind of big experience in music yeah I mean I think um it's it's amazing when you get a group of people who really just some there's some weird magic you know like I, th- I think a brilliant sort of um you know rock pop example is rem none of them are particularly good musicians but they just had this sort of chemistry together so you know the, on the one hand there's that and on the other hand it is amazing to just be able to sort of um you know fit in and try and offer something um in different situations with different people you know with music yeah definitely let's let's have a listen to this one so this is buttercup by brad it's just a matter of time and i'd love to share the call yes it's beautiful it's a very very beautiful song and there's um stone gossard as well on guitars who lots of people will know from um pearl jam as well um and i think you know you've had lots of different uh groups and bands that you've been part of over the years as well haven't you jesse like you know you've got obviously people will know you from from keen and their incredible success but you've got jesse quinn and the mets and mount desolation was that were they all kind of different do you remember them as different parts of your life or do they all kind of merge into into one um 
I think of them as different sort of sta- stages in 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 my development. I suppose, um, you know, I, when I started playing with Keen, I had to kind of borrow the you know, borrow some equipment off an actual musician to to go and do it because you know it just was completely in at the deep end. And I feel like now, um, you know, I've I've learned so much from doing that. But um, this so much value in each stage of the of that process i mean i'm sure you you feel the same it's you sort of sometimes think back and think oh crumbs i was i was rubbish at that certain thing at that point but then you also think oh it's really interesting how my kind of naivety made this really interesting decision or whatever you know in in, in music Definitely. And I think, and you can apply that as well to so many different things. I think lots of people probably look back at things, you know, with hindsight and go, oh, I I wish I hadn't done that. But then you kind of realize actually the path that you took has led you to where you are now. So all of those things that happen, they're really important for different reasons. And I think as time goes by, like you say, you realize um, you can look at things from a slightly different perspective, I guess. Uh, And especially with anything that's creative. um, Yeah, there's always another way to look at things shall we say if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery think again juvederm volux xc is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime even better this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment no maintenance required improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with juvederm volux xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Baffled, a brand new podcast bringing you some amazing facts that are complete nonsense. Imagine the likes that that would get on Instagram, you having a quick one up a lamppost on the moon. Incredible. So you basically saying the reason the dinosaurs stopped living is because they all collectively made a decision to have no more children. Oh, they're talking. I think until ten years ago, I I still shared the bathwater that my parents were in. 
You can find us wherever you got this podcast. Just search for Baffled Amazing Facts. So this next song is a, a song that reminds you of good times. Um, Hesitating Beauty by Billy Bragg and Wilco. Again, I mean, I when I was listening to this and, and kind of reading about the musicians, there is so much in this song, isn't there, that goes on? I mean, yeah, it's that Wilco, obviously, you know, kind of seasoned pro um, alt country kind of guys. And, and um, it's quite a weird pairing because Billy Bragg, I, you know, I think a lot of people think of him as incredibly kind of English political yeah. type singer. Um, and I don't know if you know the story behind this the, this record, but it's, um, it's basically they were given a box of lyrics that um, Woody Guthrie had written um, but never written songs to. So they were just words. There was no tunes. And and they took the words and turned them into um, a bunch of beautiful, brilliant songs. And, uh, yeah, I was just th- – this album, you know, I, I remember listening to it a lot with um, Jules, my wife, when we were first going out and uh, just sort of, you know, living that young London dream and playing in bands and, you know, working in pubs and stuff. Um and uh, it's it's one that you know I still put it on regularly. It's one of the albums that I probably listen to the most even now. Yeah, and I I was going to say that is exactly the the thing that came for um, when I listened to it, and then I read about the story of the lyrics. The thing that came through to me as especially as a as a singer myself, it must have been quite hard to create a piece of music from lyrics that aren't your own. Um, I can't imagine, you know, having to sort of put yourself in that person's shoes and then think, how do I, how do I create the music around this that, that fits and not only kind of technically fits with the words, but fits emotionally as well. Um, And I think also I was reading about, so Woody Guthrie's daughter, Nora had contacted Billy Bragg about you know the music that like you say this kind of box of lost lyrics and what they could do with it and I think it you know it must have been a way to bring that music into a modern kind of way of of listening to it and I think that's what a lot of people want to do now as well and especially speaking from experience with classical music that's what we do all the time isn't it we sing dead composers works all the time and try and find a new way of singing them um but I think you must as a singer songwriter would you find that quite hard to to write music to lyrics that aren't your own Man, I have no idea. I suppose in in some ways, probably the pressure's slightly off because if it's, if it doesn't turn out very well, you can always say, "Well, it was you know." It's Woody Guthrie's fault, not mine. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but um, yeah, I think there's there's something about this album that that's quite it's it's quite playful, you know, and and a lot of the lyrics, um, you know, he he one of the songs is he did a whole album of songs for kids that are just sort of silly made up words and stuff and i like the fact that they didn't take it you know they didn't get too serious and because he was obviously um very very political um and there's there's elements of that on the record but they also took the sort of fun side of woody guthrie and this this song um if i remember correctly is about nora his daughter um and you know sort of you know dedicated to her which is a bit weird because it's about getting married but I think he did it in a sort of in a in a sweet way a fatherly way yeah, yeah. so let's have a listen to it this is hesitating beauty by billy bragg and wilco dear ray makes you laugh and turn away you're a hesitating beauty no well 
So that was from, yeah, it's from the album. It's called Mermaid Avenue, which was released in 1998. And yeah, I mean, the album received a Grammy nomination for Best Contemporary Folk Album. You know, it was, it became quite iconic. And um, so it obviously worked taking someone else's lyrics and writing music to it. <laughs> yeah. Does that bring back some nice memories for you, though, to hear that music as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... um it's just sort of such a cheerful sounding song, isn't it? It's one of the things I love about that record is it's such a kind of um, a journey, you know, through all the emotions. There's some really happy ones. There's some absolutely heartbreaking ones. There's a beautiful song on there that um, Natalie Merchant sang, who who I absolutely adore. And I thought that was a very, um, you know, kind of like a, a wise piece of musicianship to say, actually, this song, you know, it, it's it's beautiful, but it needs to be sung by someone else because, you know, the ego could get in the way and, and be like, well, I want to sing it, you know, but, uh, she d- just does this incredible delivery with it. It's lovely. I'll have to have a listen to that. Um, mm. yeah, definitely. And so this last choice, which is a song from your childhood, um, it's a, a song that everyone knows. It's iconic as well. Can't you hear me knocking by the Rolling Stones? Um, so paint the picture for me. What, you know, what does this conjure up in your mind when you're thinking about your childhood? I think the, um, my sort of main memory of this song was when I was first, when I first got into music, I, I started off on the drums and, you know, my dad was quite, you know, kind of standard dad. He loved rock and roll and um, the blues and, and, and anything boisterous. <laughs> and uh, and my mum was much more into, um, she loved classical music or does love classical music and, um, and much more kind of, you know, sort of, she liked something with a bit of a groove to it. And um, one of the things that I remember, you know, about I remember we just dad would listen to this album Sticky Fingers a lot but I remember when I started learning the drums he said this is a great record for learning the drums to because none of it's really fast and Charlie Watts the drummer just plays very simple really good beats so put 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 on your headphones and try and play along and see how you get on and this song has this kind of you know it starts off as quite a slow simple song um and then it has this kind of huge sort of wig out for ages at the end. So you can really get into it if you're playing the drums or whatever instrument. But so I remember just, I would put this on a loop, you know, I'd get home from school, put it on a loop and play it for like two or three hours, just no nonstop. <laughs> yeah. And absolutely love it because I, what, what really connected with me about it as well in, in this, this song in particular was, um, once I kind of learned how Charlie Watts played it, I realized that actually there was um, so much scope for me to do what I wanted to do and, and, and sort of explore and experiment. Whereas so many other songs, if you're, if you're playing along, you're just kind of learning the part and, and what fits. Um, but uh, this kind of has both, you know, it's got this nice steady 
um first section and then you can just go mental at the end <laughs> yeah but that's yeah but that's the thing it does doesn't it i think it's like is it it's over seven minutes long isn't it and they just yeah. basically vibe you know for the for the few minutes towards like the second half of the song and i remember reading about this and the likes of you know keith richards saying that basically it just sounded really good and they were going to kind of finish but then you know people were just vibing and going for it and people just kept playing and again i think that's what's really stuck out as well with a couple of your other choices is that recording a song in its entirety you know that was the take that was it and that's how it would sound you know forever in that moment then recorded in time and I think that's so special because and I think partly part of me thinks that's why these songs do become iconic and they stay with us and they last you know generation after generation um and it's something that you obviously remember from your childhood but it was a song that your you know your dad loved but you loved it too and it's not often we find that where we can go you know both of you sit there and go this is a really cool song and it takes you to that sort of that place where you can lose yourself a bit in the music as well and I think the Rolling Stones is just such a great example of that they they're just you know that fun and sort of just letting go within their music I feel like um it's so nice I think to to hear that in a song and not have to worry about well it's got to be three minutes and it's got to have post-production and we've got to auto-tune this you know and I think although that all those things now are amazing to have at your fingertips to use in the technical sense but actually this is just it's a great song and it's played and and you know that's how it should stay I think yeah, I totally agree. I, I want you know something that's suddenly sprung in from out my from my memory when, when you were talking about the sort of live performance side of recording, which is really rare now. Everyone pieces things together and quite often starts with a demo. And um, as as I'm sure you're fully aware, but I, that Mount Desolation album, we've done two of those. The first Mount Desolation album we made was basically, you know, the idea was to do a slightly kind of Wilcoe alt country record, and we. We started off, you know, we just set everything up and, and said, well, let's just try and record it live. And what was really great about it is when you record normally and you're doing things bit by bit, you do over fix things. You know, you're constantly saying, well, there's, you know, I can I can fix that little bit or I can sort that or we can redo that. And when you do it live, I remember listening back to um, one of the songs and there was this creaky, weird noise. And we were like, what's that noise? And we realized that it was... Um, it was the pedals on a pump organ that um, one of the boys was playing. And uh, it was all over the whole song. And we were like, oh, well, how are we going to get rid of it? We'll have to do it again. And we said, uh, well, let's leave it, actually. And um, it's one of the best things about the song. You just can hear it. <laughs> because like, it was on all of the mics, you know. It was like this, you couldn't, you couldn't sort of just mute that one, you know, switch off that one instrument. It was audible, you know. And um, you just... Those sort of things, they really connect with people's kind of subconscious, I think. If you hear something that changes, even if it's the same thing over and over again, if it changes subtly um, as it goes, it keeps the brain kind of engaged. And live music does that. I think it's one of the reasons that live music is still such a huge thing and people love it. Whereas if you kind of overfix it, you can end up with something that is so kind of clean that your brain sort of switches off to it a little bit. And yeah. 
you know definitely definitely and i think that's you know again like you say that the live side of things it's those imperfections or things that happen and people go oh do you remember that gig and do you remember when that happened that was different to the recording or it was different to what they expected and that's the sort of i think that is that's the power that that music has um to create those kind of memories and moments um we should we should have a listen to it let's let's have a listen this is can't you hear me knocking by the rolling stones You can imagine them in the room, can't you? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And I think also I was surprised to, I suppose I listened to that song as a whole, just as a sound, um, and actually not thinking about the fact that then there's a saxophone that comes in, then there's congas and there's a organ in the background, you know, and actually for a band like the Rolling Stones, you wouldn't necessarily think that you'd put those instruments together. So it's quite, um, quite unusual as a group of instruments to hear as well. Um, but I hope, I hope that's brought back some, some nice memories for you as well, listening to some of that music. Absolutely. Um, so at this point, I recommend a song to you, Jesse, which obviously compared to all of my other guests, um, makes me more nervous because you're a musician. <laughs> so I was like, I need to find this amazing song. But I, um, I landed on a song by Novo Amor, um, called Holland. I don't know if you know it. How do you spell it? Just so that I, I'm typing it down. Now. Novo Amor, <laughs> um, N-O-V-O space A-M-O-R and then okay. Holland, like the place. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted to find something, we were talking about it earlier actually, that uses, it's a modern piece of music that uses technology, but in a wonderful way that doesn't, in a sensitive way, so that doesn't encroach upon, you know, the kind of the general structure of the song and the overall sound. And I felt like this kind of um, ticked those boxes. I also thought all of the songs you've chosen are male vocalists, which I don't know whether that's a conscious I thing or not. I didn't even think about that. I'm so yeah. sorry. No, <laughs> no, no. I feel no. Bad. <laughs> oh my God. No, don't apologize. I just find all that stuff really interesting. And I thought actually this guy's uh, voice is quite similar in a way to Bon Iver. You know, it's like that kind of mm. very, got a beautiful high falsetto voice. So it's quite feminine in the way that it sounds but there's just something there's like a purity to it which I love and I feel like it also has kind of a bit of a laid back kind of lazy rhythm which some of your other choices have um so who knows if you like it you might hate it and you have to be honest but let's have a listen to a little bit of this track Holland by Novo Amor There we go. You have to listen to it in its entirety, I think. That's well. lush. I love that <laughs> massive <laughs> snare drum as well. Yeah. He, just, he does sound like Justin Byrne and his singing. It's nice. Yeah, it's kind of, I felt like as well, there's um, 
there's some amazing live versions of it as well that's I think it's on so far sounds or something but um just that kind of image of one man and his guitar and then someone kind of doing a bit of technical stuff which you know is amazing that we have that ability now to do that live and create such a warm sound um but I mean I must say it probably never replaces the likes of uh of those kind of recordings of the Rolling Stones and uh David Bowie so I think you've chosen so many yeah iconic songs there and and hopefully that's a a new song to add to the list (laughs) yeah I love I can't wait to listen to all of it um, thank you so much, Jesse, for your time as well. And obviously, um, I don't know if you've been writing music during this time or, you know, doing any recording bits and pieces, but hopefully you'll be back uh, out there performing soon. And I'm sure everyone's, you know, super excited for that as well. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. Me too. Um, but thank you so much for your time. And yeah, Thanks hopefully see you in Suffolk very soon. <laughs> yeah, I'll see you outside the park. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to you too for listening and don't forget to hit subscribe or follow to make sure you don't miss an episode we have some amazing guests lined up so you'll definitely want to come back next week if you've enjoyed the podcast why not tell a friend and drop us a review have a great week and we'll see you next time Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.